This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So I kind of had a feeling this might start something on the program today. Uh, favorite hip checkers uh, in the history of the NHL. This coming off a weekend where we saw Radko Gudis lay one a beautiful hip check. Yesterday on Brendan Lemieux in the uh, the Carolina-Anaheim game. Uh, Rasmus Dahlin on Philip Heedle last week as well, which was a thing of beauty. People submitting. Uh, Matt Marchese sending in Darius Kasparitis. Eh, sometimes bordered on the dirty there. Uh, Jimmy Murphy, our buddy, with uh, Charlie McAvoy had some beauties. Richard Chung submits Brian Glennie. Uh, that's a really good one. And DZ... Uh, DMs these three names, Bobby Bond, the late, uh, Dennis Potfan, and Junior Langlois as well, who who I believe, I believe was the last player to wear number four in Boston before Bobby Orr. Someone's going to fact check me on that in like two seconds. <laughs> I know that's, uh, that's going to happen. That's inevitable. And Big Daddy Bob McGill chimes in, oh, chimes in with Brian Marchment, the late. Great, Brian Marchman. Absolutely, Big Daddy. That's a great one. Uh, maybe Kevin Allen has a favorite hip checker uh, in the history of the game from Detroit Hockey Now. The great Kevin Allen joins me. Kevin, how are you today? I'm great. Of course I have one. And it, it's one that, uh, <laughs> uh, to me, has always been underrated. I, I thought he was the best hip checker of my generation. It was like he would get tone and lock on you. And even though you saw him coming, you couldn't get out of the way, okay. and that was Rob Blake. Rob Blake was the best hip checker. Yes, and you know, he just he got that, know, that big butt of his. And he did it. Yeah, he just could get it done. Yeah. Uh, so. Elliot was uh, was aboard in the first segment. We went through a few, and, and that was his number one. Like I was throwing out, the, you know, like for for old school fans, like Leo Boyvin, uh, who used to delight yeah, in catching sure. Rocket Richard all the time, and you know, uh, Darius Kasparaitis came. Keith Ballard. Uh, is another one, Anton Volchenkov, Mark oh, yeah. Lafat, these types of players. But, uh, yeah, Rob Rob Blake, I mean, to be honest, I mean, Rob Blake did everything so well, and, you know, as far as yeah. his skill set goes, yeah. and the hip it, check was just it, fantastic. Including giving a Hall of Fame speech. Like, I've seen a few of them, and his speech, it felt yeah. like it was, I had to look around to see if there was a teleprompter. I really did, because it was so... Hmm strong and it was look it was like he was reading but he wasn't and uh it was just phenomenal speech he gave he just all the details that yeah. were so rich so it was great impressive uh player impressive person um kevin speaking of impressive alex the brinket now anyone that watched the ottawa senators last season for any more than five minutes quickly discovered that the marriage between Alex DeBrinkett and the Ottawa Senators and DJ Smith and the style of play that DJ Smith wanted his team to play wasn't a fit for Alex DeBrinkett. He was looking for something and needed something that was a lot more akin to how he used to play with the Chicago Blackhawks. Clearly, and I know it's early, he seems to have found that with the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, three goals in two games, four points. Are you surprised at the early success of Alex DeBrinkett? No, not at all. I mean, when you look at his six years in the league, he's averaged 31 points on two goals per season. Um, and in some of those games, he, some of those seasons, he didn't play a full season. He had some injuries to deal with. Like, he's really been a really consistent top goal scorer. And even last year when people thought he did not 
uh, have a good season. What do you have? Twenty seven goals. I mean, twenty seven, and he had yeah, kind of an off year. And and I think uh, the Red Wings uh, were thrilled to have him. And you know, he's really excited about being uh, back in Michigan. And even though, like the mix of Larkin and DeBrincat, um, you know, those are two talented players, but they're both scorers. Like Larkin, you know, main attribute as a center is you know he's a consistent thirty goal scorer. So, you know, there's been a little bit of adjustment, yeah. but I, I think it was to be expected. And uh, Lalonde has been on him a little bit, uh, you know, pushing him to try to, you know, find that chemistry. But, it, you know, it's been fine. And, you know, in a two-on-one, and that was kind of a simple uh, read where he knew he had to get across to Brinkett. He scores, the, you know, what turned out to be the game-winning goal in the last game against Tampa. And I, I thought, you know, it was really almost symbolic. I think everybody saw that goal and said, hey, this is going to work out between these two players because, you know, they're the best two scorers on the team. And, they'll, you know, they'll sort it out. I think it's still kind of up in the air who will be the third uh, uh, player on that wing. Will it be David Perron? Will it be Lucas Raymond? Um, and, you know, Lucas Raymond has some history playing with Larkin as well. But the only issue there is now you got three shooters, <laughs> you know, on one line when you got Lucas Raymond there. So, you know, it's going to it's going to be a bit yeah. of adjustment, but I think that they'll they'll sort it out. I, uh, I I checked with the league at the beginning of the season, and they're still only playing with one puck. So when you have that many yeah. shooters on on one line, yeah. it, it kind of makes it to un, un, until they introduce another puck, Kevin. Until they introduce yeah, another puck. Exactly. Speaking of of Lucas Raymond. Speaking of Lucas Raymond, um, we talk so much about, you know, show me seasons and, okay, this is, you know, like with the Rangers, there's a lot of conversation around. This is the year where the Rangers are going to make up their mind on what they have in Alexi Lafreniere, uh, for example. Um, Do the Red Wings know what they have in Raymond or is this, you know, going to be one of those seasons where, okay, we need to know who this guy is now. Do you have a thought on that? Yeah, I mean, as usual, you ask the right question. Um, I think that's an important issue for the Red Wings. And I think, uh, you know, and again, you never know with Steve Eiserman, but, you know, my sense is is that he asked that question all of last season Um, because it's, you know, uh, Raymond just took a half step backward last year. You know, it's hard to get your Mm -hmm. uh, fingers on why it was happening, but he just wasn't the same player. He didn't seem to have the same drive. He, you know, his goal scoring was down just a little bit, but he just wasn't the same player. And I think Eisenman, uh at the end of the season must have said something uh, to him because I know David Perron said after the season as well that some of the guys said, you know, you play a lot better when you play with a little edge to your game. And I think everyone was trying to get mm-hmm. him to sort of kind of rediscover um, the the player he was, or maybe even just discover for the first time who he is. And, you know, he, he added some weight in the off season. He'd come in, he had this memorable check that was on, you know, ESPN where he sent a, a player into yeah. the bench, uh, head over heels. And uh, um, I think uh, he's come out and he, I think he sensed that everybody wants to know who he really is as a player and uh, that they want a little more from him. And thus far, um, even though he's got uh, one goal in two games, I, I, I think people do see uh, a player that's trying to raise his game just to an, another level. Now, uh, I, I want to ask you about the goaltending and, and one area of it specifically. Uh, Billy Huso, James Reimer, and Alex Lyon. I know that this season, more so than any season that I can remember, 
there are more teams, you know, Buffalo's one certainly, um, that are, there's one team that are just so terrified of goalie waivers. You know, the minute Vasilevsky went out, everyone was scared to lose a goaltender to Tampa. Uh, In Detroit's case, that would be a a division rival and you can understand it. How is the goaltending situation going going to play itself out here? Because as much as teams give lip service to, oh, yeah, we can handle three goaltenders, we can make this work, it does not. Like, I, I don't know much about hockey, 100% certain, but the one thing that I do know is three goalies doesn't work, Kevin. How does this play itself out? Yeah, well, you know, you're right on. Uh, you know, that it certainly doesn't work in practice. I, I think you know, maybe it does from the depth perspective and, you know, I think everybody is suffering from Magnus Hilberg syndrome when last year Hilberg kept getting sent down and reclaimed by, yeah. um, you know, Seattle and, uh, you know, Ottawa had him for a while and Detroit ended up with him. And, um, you know, the Red Wings went through a bad stretch last year where, you know, their backup goaltenders only won nine games out of 26 starts. And they ended up, uh, you know, missing the playoffs by 12 points. And, you know, the team that was ahead of them, Florida, got 18 wins out of their backup goalie. So um, I think Eisenman addressed goaltending, you know, right even through the draft. Like he drafted two goalies because I think he wanted to have more guys in the system. You know, he went out and he got, you know, two backup goalies and, and Reimer and Alex Lyon. And the idea was they were going to send Lyon down and be the third goaltender. They gave him a one-way uh, contract for two years, thinking that'll discourage people. But then all of a sudden they looked around the landscape and the Tampa Bay Lightning needed a goalie. They knew a lot about Alex Lyon. Yeah. There are other teams that are looking for a backup. And I think they were afraid of losing Lyon, so obviously they kept three goalies. Malone has said the right thing, saying, yeah, you know, we worked it out last year, we'll do it this year. But it is an aggravation in practice. And, of course, there's not enough work for three goalies. But, you know, the Red Wings feel strongly about it because they don't want to get caught the way they did last year when Adelkovich wasn't playing well and they didn't have any options and they lost points. And then on top of that, it had a trickle-down effect on their Grand Rapids team. They didn't have good goaltending then. They didn't make the playoffs. The prospects didn't get any playoff experience. So Eisenman went out. I mean, he's even got Michael Hutchinson playing, you know, a veteran NHL goalie playing down in the minor leagues because he's so, so focused on making sure everybody's got enough goaltending this year. Um, you've mentioned the loan a couple of different times here. And one, I think he has one of the coolest nicknames in the NHL, and that is Newsy, uh, playing off uh, the last name, certainly. But what have your impressions been of him? Like, it, it, C- Canadian media fell in love with him last year. I think Canadian viewers did. Yeah. Uh, was with us at, at Hockey Night in Canada during the during the playoffs. Like, just tremendous, especially analysis of his old team, the Tampa Bay Lightning. But um, what have you been, like, what have you noticed about Newsy? Uh, since he took over the bench boss detail? Well, I think he's tougher than he uh, lets on. Uh, and, that, and by that, I mean, I think he's um, very mediagenic and, uh, you know, he's friendly. He's yeah. easy to deal with. But behind the scenes, we're hearing he's pretty tough on players. Like, he really does, you know, get into them a little bit. And, he, and like, they, there's no doubt for any player of how they are doing with uh, New Zealand alone. So, um, you know, he makes it clear to them. I know uh, Bill Larkin said on uh, multiple occasions that some video sessions for, for him have been pretty tough uh, with Malone. So I think he's a tough coach, but 
Um, people don't kind of see him that way because he's a heck of a nice guy. And I think Eisman's very comfortable with him because he knew him before. And I guess all you got to really know about him is he's very close friends with Jeff Blaschel and John Cooper. The three of them are almost like the three amigos in the summer. Yeah. They play golf together and everything else. And I think but anybody who knows both Jeff Blaschel and John Cooper know what great guys they are. So I think he really is a, you know kind of a good person. But he certainly won over the fan base here. Like you said, the, the newsy alone the nickname helps, although <laughs> in the media we have trouble the, 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 uh, the, in the media, we have trouble calling him that. I think he's still Derek to us. But, um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's doing well. And I think Eisenman appreciate him. He was a little too open for Eisenman, I think. You know, he told the media a couple of things where he said, well, Steve Eisenman said to me, well, you never start a sentence, Steve Eisenman said to me, if you're a coach yeah. of the Detroit Red Wings. So, so, so uh, uh, other than that, I think yeah. it's, it's been great. I, I know. Steve said in the summer that he said, we're still on our honeymoon phase. In other words, things are, are going well. But uh, yeah. uh, his relationship with his coach, a lot of people may find this difficult because I think uh, to understand because people see him as really kind of a tough guy. But he was very close to Jeff Blasio. Like, I don't think he really wanted to fire him. I think he felt like he had to. Just because the team had lost so many games and the pressure. But he thought Blasio was a good coach, still thinks that. And I think the same thing with Alone. He thinks that Lalone is a good coach. They're on the same page in terms of their approaches and how they want to play. And I think that's why he is the coach because Eisenman knew about him from camp and knew that he played the same way that Eisenman wanted to play. Awesome. Uh, listen, this is always a lot of fun. Uh, really insightful. Great analysis. Kevin, thanks as always for stopping by, pal. Anytime. Bye-bye. Kevin Allen uh, stops by. It is the Detroit Red Wings facing off against the Columbus Blue Jackets tonight at Nationwide, uh, one of five games on the board around the NHL. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local, Matt Marchese. Bet Local, what's your game of the night or where are your eyes transfixed? Knowing full well, all the games start at 7 Eastern, Maddie. Uh, there's no time stagger here, so pick one. Yeah, that's that's mildly disappointing. And by mildly, I'm very understating that. Uh, they, we're going to go Blackhawks yeah. at Maple Leafs because, of course, uh, Tr- uh, Connor Bedard yeah. comes to Toronto for the first time. Uh, puck line is Leafs minus one and a half. The Blackhawks have actually won 17 of the last 25 matchups between these two teams. The over has hit in seven of the last eight matchups and the last five in Toronto. This is where we love to, you know, we had this discussion on Friday, uh, the Connor Bedard shot prop line, uh, which the, the watch continues uh, <laughs> currently set at three yeah. and a half. He has at least five shots in each of his first three games. You know, it is the uh, the game within the game and the story within the story. And I love when there are two players with one very specific skill set and they go head to head because you know very well, um, you know, much like that Washington-Pittsburgh game where both Ovechkin and Crosby uh, had hat tricks uh, so many years ago, mm-hmm. you know these guys are going to want to go shot for shot, goal for goal. Um, they have similar releases. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's one thing that I find very different. I was mentioning this to Elliot on the podcast last night. I get the sense from players like Austin Matthews, I will put Patrick Line. Maddie in this mix as well. First of all, being Shea Weber was the the king of what I'm about to mention here. But do you not get the sense that when Austin Matthews shoots, 
he's not just shooting to score, but there's a certain violence to his shot. Like, it's almost as if he's looking to try to shoot the puck through the net. Yes. Like, not all guys have that on their shot. Like, do not get the sense that, like, he wants to put it through the net and he wants to hit the boards. Not unlike how Mike Tyson would talk about how I want to punch someone through their head yeah. to hit the back of their head. That's a lovely visual. Um, but I get that sense from Matthews here. Yeah, I do too. And I love that Connor Bedard said that Austin Matthews pioneered the shot because you know it's in tight and it's not easy and there's I don't know how I don't know how these guys do it but they're both incredible and it should be a fun matchup yeah. tonight that was line change uh, presented by sports interaction your homegrown sports book bet local David Amber from Monday Night Hockey joins me next Merrick show continues across the Sportsnet radio network Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Thanks to Kevin Allen and Elliot Friedman for stopping by the first hour. David Amber from Monday Night Hockey coming up here in a couple of moments. It's Connor Bedard versus Austin Matthews, Chicago versus Toronto at Scotiabank. You probably knew that already. One of five games on the go around the NHL. They all start at 7 o'clock Eastern. Get your multiple screens ready. You know, one of the themes that sort of weaved its way through this program, which just started with a frivolous conversation with me and Elliot, you know how these things can sort of gather steam, is uh, hip checking. Uh, And we've seen a couple of beauties so far. Uh, people sending in their favorite hip checkers, whether it's uh, Dennis Potvin, whether it's Brian Glennie, Troy Carlson submits a really good one. And this guy should be right up around the top of the list. Uh, New Brunswick's own Hilliard Graves. Hello, Vancouver Canucks fans. Hilliard Graves, uh, Troy Carlson submits. Hilliard Graves was a great hip checker from my childhood. Um, I guess we're both the same vintage. Uh, he was a great one as well. Plagers. You know, St. Louis fans uh, weighing in on that one specifically. We'll weave this theme uh, throughout the program here coming up. Uh, Also, Matt Marchese standing by. We'll get Maddie's thoughts on the weekend that was uh, around the NHL. And Peter Baugh from The Athletic. All things Colorado. And the latest news, of course, is the Devontae's contract extension, where it seemed like both sides gave a little um, Colorado gave in on term and the player gave in on decimal point, And that's how they arrived at the number just over $7 million per season, over seven seasons, uh, times seven seasons rather, for Devon Taves. And the number one pair of defensemen in the NHL, Kel McCarr and Devon Taves, is intact long term but also it's really tough and you see evidence of it like opening night with the four points and whether it's shootout goals or five on five play it's really tough to watch an avalanche game and not come away saying a few things one Kel McCarr slick on his feet and he's sort of Connor McDavid as a defenseman two Nathan McKinnon is one of the best players in the world and at times probably is the best player in the world and three Man, we really don't talk about Miko Rantanen enough. Everything that guy does is fantastic. Speaking of which, uh, David Amber from the NHL on Sportsnet, Rogers Monday Night Hockey, joins me now tonight. It is the Toronto Maple Leafs facing off against the Chicago Blackhawks. DA, how are you today, pal? Hey, Josh, doing well. How are you? 
Uh, I'm doing good. Before we get to, uh, to brass tacks, and I want to talk plenty about Bedard and Matthews and some of the action from around the weekend. I want to ask you about Matt Coronado. Get some first unit power play assignments. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Kid scores his first uh, career NHL goal for the Calgary Flames. But the th- one of the themes working through today's program is hip checkers. Now, we've seen a few beauties. Gudis on Lemieux last night. Darlene on uh, Heedle last week in the Buffalo-New York Ranger game. Do you have a favorite hip checker through history? It's almost become D.A., this lost art, and I understand it gets, it's it's dangerous for a defenseman to do it because if you miss, you are really out of the play, and it's an odd man rush going the other way, and you get back to the bench and you get that frown from the coach. Uh, but it seems like it's making a mini comeback, at least here in the first week of the season. David Amber, do you have a favorite hip checker through history? Well, it's funny you mentioned Darlene, and I'm going to go back um, a little bit uh, not too much, but probably someone that Darlene was keeping an eye on as another Swede, and that's Nick Cronwall, who absolutely would sandpaper guys. And he often, he threw, you remember Forsberg with the reverse checks when guys were coming towards him and he had the puck? Yeah. Cronwall oh, yeah. didn't have the puck, but he would do the same thing. He would kind of march towards them backwards and just absolutely catch them with their heads down and take take away the space uh, and uh, along the boards with his hips and butt, and it was uh, it was quite a thing to see. Um, if I, so, Cronwall would be the one guy, and then I'm also thinking about some of the more yeah. ones I've seen in person. PK Subban, I, he didn't do this a lot, but when he caught yeah. you going up the boards and he could close that space with his big butt, he would get it all. You know, like it was just <laughs> the hips and the, and the thighs were on you and the and guys were going, you know, head over heels. So I remember being at a couple of games of PK doing that and thinking, wow, that's amazing. Cronwall was, I'm glad you mentioned Cronwall because one of the things that I always admired about him is, you know, when the other team was starting their breakouts, the winger on Cronwall's side, Cronwall would always leave or make it look like he was leaving the zone and like he was about to start C cutting all the way back. So he'd do like a, a crossover to try to drag, to lure people up the boards, but then would stop and go forward. Like just when you assume that he was going backwards and getting defensive posture and here comes a C cuts going to try to, you know, uh, try to, uh, to, 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 to keep me in front of him. Then he would just lower the boom. It's like he would leave the zone for a split second and then come back and destroy guys. I, yeah. it was one of my favorite things in the NHL. I think I'm not in the minority there either. That's a, that's a great call. Nicholas Cronwall. Yeah, he uh, he was a force. He was, you know, listen, Scott Stevens was on a whole other level, different time, different era. But uh, guys would know when Cronwell was out there. And I think you're right. The, the act of deception was a big part of his. You oh. know, guys would look down, look up, and was like, where did this guy come from? And boom, next thing you know, you're, you're picking up uh, everything yeah. off, the, off the ice. Yeah. It, it, it's weird. Like, he would just sort of lure you into this trap. And mm. it wasn't a secret. Like, you game plan for this. Like, you know, like, when you're going down Cronwall's side, head up, this guy, this guy's a killer. And he would be able to do it consistently because he would just put enough cheese in the trap that you couldn't resist trying to stick your hand in there to get it. Um, tonight's going to be fascinating. And looking forward very much to Austin Matthews versus Connor Bedard. Uh, it's the battle of the wrist shots. It's uh, the two best shots already in the NHL. Connor Bedard probably still already the best player on the Chicago Blackhawks. Austin Matthews is same for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Other than maybe the obvious, and I'm happy to park time talking about these two, what else is intriguing about this matchup for you tonight, D.A.? 
Well, first of all, thanks to the NHL and, and maybe to Greg Sansoni, one of our colleagues, for getting us uh, what a great way to start Rogers Monday Night Hockey with Bedard versus the Leafs. So that's awesome. And it was so fun to have him on Hockey Night in Canada, of course, in Montreal on the first Saturday. So I love the scheduling. I think it's kind of tough for Chicago. What a way to start your career. Hey, we're going to start you against Sid the Kid <laughs> next night into Boston. Then you go yeah. Montreal, Toronto, yeah. and you finish the five game or in Colorado where you can barely breathe by Colorado. Uh, period. So uh, welcome to the NHL, kid. Uh, listen, I, I think there's so many great layers to this. And you saying that Bedard is potentially the best player in Chicago, I mean, I think it's unequivocally, like, it's not even close. And I know some people are going to say, well, he's getting all the opportunities. He's playing the most minutes, but he's earning those minutes. I mean, he leads the NHL in scoring chances, right? That's unbelievable, right? The guy's putting up five-plus shots mm-hmm. a game, as you heard Matty just say. Uh, it's been really a pleasure to watch. And I heard your, I heard your segment with Elliot, by the way, and – uh, you know, I really think this is how the NHL needs to treat its superstars. I, I think I understand Taylor Hall's concerns because this is new, but this is this should be the new yeah. norm. It's like you march these guys out there. It's good for the game. It in- increases uh, fan interest. It increases their own stardom, um, you know, as long as they can live up to the billing. And uh, so it helps them, you know, financially and, and from a prestige standpoint, it helps the league. It keeps everyone engaged. I don't see many negatives to it. Um, you just have to sort of make that the norm. And guys coming up through the years, this is going to be how you're treated if yeah. you're a superstar. I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I, I get it. The The only thing that I would sort of pause on it is right now, Connor Bedard doesn't know what a full NHL season feels like. So right mm. now, at the beginning of the season, it's like yes to everything, yes to everything. I'll do that. I understand how important I am and, um, you know, a new face of the game and all of that. That's great in October. What happens in late January when the kid's exhausted? Because he's been doing not only, you know, game prep and practice and, and all of that, but also doing all the media because the requests mm-hmm. are just it's like a volume of requests. Like that, That's my only, yeah. my only concern. I think this is what sort of Taylor Hall was getting at is, you know, mm-hmm. this kid doesn't know what a full season's like yet. Let's let him get a full season under his belt so he knows expectation and knows that, A, you're allowed sometimes to say no, and B, mm-hmm. sometimes you probably should. Listen, if anyone would know to some degree what Connor Bedard's going through, it's Taylor Hall, not me, a former first overall pick playing in a Canadian market, uh, nonetheless. I I fully respect that. I'm just sort of saying, speaking bigger terms for the the good of the game. I mean, what the media essentially is at its best is a liaison towards the fans. We're the ones able to get close enough. You know, you and Elliot with the 32 Thoughts podcast, and you're sitting down with Leon Dreisaitl, you're sitting down with Kale McCarr, etc., this is what the fans want. Wow, we can hear, you know, we can through, uh, you know, be a fly in the wall and get these great questions asked and, and really learn about these guys and their personalities. And I think this has been a great opportunity for Connor Bedard to to showcase who he is. He's a very mature kid. You know, uh, he, you know I have an 18-year-old daughter, and, you know, it's funny. I, I still see her as, obviously, a young woman. And then you see Connor Bedard, and you're like, wow, like this is a whole other level of heap of responsibility uh, impressed on him but he seems up to the challenge will there be some some times when i think the chicago uh blackhawks as a team maybe have to rein it in or bedard himself have to say hey you know i just can't meet all of these you know expectations and demands a hundred percent that might come but i think coming out of the gate the way it's been uh, i think he's handled it like a champ uh he's showing great maturity and poise and he's been excellent on the ice it certainly hasn't um prohibited him from being a star player so far in the game so um, I'm all for it. I think it's been great. And, you know, we're really excited because I think this is a great matchup tonight. You have, 
you know, this great storyline with Austin yeah. Matthews, who, you know, you know, it's funny. He, he, like, we don't talk about this enough. He scored 40 goals last year and it was a down year for him. He played, you know, it was put out there and his agent was pretty clear about it. He was playing with a half a wrist for half the season. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. So, you know, Austin Matthews, at, at a healthy Austin Matthews, he scores at a higher rate per game than, than Alexander Ovechkin. So, you know, let that sink in for a second. Here's a guy who's scoring at that prolific of pace. So you have him and they have Connor Bedard, sort of the next prodigy coming up. I think it's going to be really fun tonight. You know, the Chicago Blackhawks are, are nowhere close. I mean, you start to see, you know, root to the fruit uh, with Chicago. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, they're still planting, they're still planting seeds. Uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs, I mean, that is an actualized team. That is an actualized team with, you know, playoff expectations. Uh, Two-game audit. Let's get way, way, way ahead of ourselves here, <laughs> D.A. What do you make of the Maple Leafs so far? Barely hung on. Uh, to beat the Montreal Canadiens on opening night, and then once the floodgates op- uh, floodgates opened uh, against the Minnesota Wild, they just started pouring it on. And the one thing that we do know about this team is they can score in bunches. Your thoughts on the Leafs after a couple of games? Well, I think we've seen the best of the Maple Leafs, and I think you just touched on it, that they have such high-end skill, and they're able to score quickly and uh, off the rush with the man advantage, uh, you know, five on five, whatever the case may be, they're able to score in all sorts of different uh, opportunities within the game. That's at their best. And we've seen them struggle at times to defend. And goaltending has been good and then not so good. So the, the questions that really marked this Leaf team coming into this season, we've seen, uh, you know, people want to know, is the blue line good enough to make the playoffs, not just make the playoffs because the expectations will obviously make the playoffs, but to make it deep in the playoffs. Is the goaltending going to be consistent enough? I, I think we're going to see Joseph Wall in that tonight, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. that's an interesting storyline to play out. Um, you know, it's two games in. I, I just, I hate, you know, we're barely, we're barely starting. You know, if it's a marathon, we're on the first, you know, mile, not even. So let's just take our time and assess mm-hmm. this. But I do think tonight is an interesting game. Like, can against it's one thing to give up, you know, a bunch of goals opening night and Caulfield, Suzuki, and some real skilled players. I want to see, knowing Connor Bedard's coming in, how they're going to handle this situation against a much weaker, inferior team that's been on the road for the last nine days or eight days. So, uh, you know, yeah. I think tonight's actually an interesting challenge, and maybe we'll, we'll learn a little bit more about the, the fortitude of this Leafs team. Uh, nope, I've made up my mind. Edmonton is shooting for Macklin Celebrini, and the Vancouver Canucks are going to win the Pacific. Um, let, actually, let me, let me ask you about the Canucks here, because, you know, we, we've seen two games out of Vancouver, both against the Edmonton yeah. Oilers, and we're focused so much on, you know, the, the Edmonton goaltenders are hard to hit, and the defense is leaking, and, oh, that's Bouchard's fault there, and that's Nurse's fault there, and, oh, a big, a big goof by, uh, by Ekholm on Saturdays. We focus so much from the Edmonton point of view. Do you find mm-hmm. that these two huge wins by Vancouver are kind of getting lost in all this where Elias Pettersson's kind of been excellent. I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise, but I mean, are we not giving Vancouver enough credit here for those two wins against the Oilers? I think we should be giving them credit. Uh, and quite honestly, after dry settle scored to open uh, Saturday night's game, I yeah. said to myself, okay, here comes the payback. It's going to be an eight, one Oilers win. And, Little did I know Vancouver, you know, really showed they were going to, you know, we're going to bend but not break, essentially. I think this team yeah. is taking on the identity of its head coach, Rick Tockett. Uh, what was Rick Tockett best known for? A fierce competitor, wouldn't give an inch on the ice, uh, you know, highly competitive, tough. 
And the team is moving in that direction. Yes, of course, they have extreme skill with Hughes and with Patterson and Besser, but they also seem to have some bigger bodies that he's willing to put out there, the Dakota Joshua's of the world. Uh, they went and got some grinders. How bad was that uh, Vancouver penalty kill last year? It was historically bad, right, Jeff? So they, you know, kudos yeah. to management oh, yeah. to sort of say, we need to pick up players, even at the end of the, uh, the end of training camp, picking up Sam Lafferty, who scored the game winner on Saturday. So I think they've addressed the penalty killing as best they can. They wanted to change the feel and tone of the team. You know, they, they like OEL leave. Uh, they want guys who are buying in to play the type of brand of hockey that their head coach is demanding they play. And so far, it's only two games. I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but I think we're seeing a different Vancouver team. And even, Jeff, if you go back to last year, they were a playoff team under Rick Tockett when they had a bit more structure and a bit more effort and energy level and mm-hmm. consistency. And now with Thatcher Demko coming in and he's not playing on a, a torn groin, he's, he's healthy, you know, I think we're seeing a really good opportunity for this Vancouver team to maybe be kind of like the Devils were last year. We, we'll see. I mean, listen, I don't want to get ahead of myself, and I think that division's very tough, but I'm really impressed with how Vancouver's come out of the game. So I think they have a five-game road trip starting tomorrow, so now we're going to, you know, get another look at what this team's all about. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the identity of the coach because one of the, um, you know, one of the sidebar skills when we think about Sam Lafferty, we think of the, the foot speed. But one of the sidebar skills is there. Um, that's a guy that's going to push back, and that's a guy that has mm-hmm. a little bit of an edge to his game as well. And you know, I, I think that Vancouver, you know, at least inquired. I don't know how far down the road they got, but at least inquired or had conversations about Austin Watson who ended up uh, on, a, on, a, on a tryout with the Tampa Bay Lightning and ended up earning mm-hmm. a contract. But you can tell, like, I think, to, I think to your point, DA, what Vancouver is trying to do here is bring in more, and they're hard to find, Rick Tockett-style players. Like, they yeah. want to be tougher to play against. Like, I don't think it's any secret. Everyone saw how Vegas won the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that is a nasty, nasty, tough team. And I think that's what, I think that's what Vancouver wants to do. Thank you very much. Let me ask you about Calgary. Um, Calgary faces off tonight against the Washington Capitals. One of the sidebars that's going to run through this one is Matthew Phillips versus his old team. Now Matthew Phillips with the Washington Capitals, of course. But Matt Coronado um, scores his first career NHL goal and also first unit power play time for the Calgary Flames. I think Calgary is one of the most interesting teams in the league this year. Uh, I'm suspecting big bounce back provided Markstrom um, can uh, can go back to the the Markstrom that we saw two seasons ago. Even if he's not that same guy, at least Markstrom light from two seasons ago. Um, how do you see the Calgary Flames season shaping up? And your thought on Matt Coronado? All right, well, lots there. First, of all, I got to ask you. You're the you're the encyclopedia of hockey, Matthew Phillips. Is he really five seven one forty? And if if that's the case, is he not the lightest I, player in okay. NHL history? Is that right? Uh, he would be one of them. That's going to give me something to do after the show today. So lightest player ever. Um, he's listed at five seven one. Is he, it is it one forty or am I imagining things? Uh, hang on, let me call up. Let me call up Matthew Phillips. Yeah, and, and so the only guy Matthew I could even Phillips think of at one forty. Yeah. Oh my God! I mean, think about that. You know, uh, that's wild. Uh, you know, I weighed one forty in grade eight. I mean, that's that's kind of crazy. Like that's. That's kind of wild. Listen, uh, the only I, guy I could even I remember, remember Bobby I, Lalonde. Remember, remember a little Bobby Lalonde of on course, the Boston? Yeah, yeah. That's the only guy I could think of who 
I don't even, I don't know what his, his, size, his exact size was, but the only guy I could think of who might have been in that conversation at that weight. You know, there was, and I was going to say, like, goaltenders don't count, but, you know, Shrimp Warders was a buck 35. Matt Marchese just sent that one in. I was going to mm-hmm. say Warders, but I, th- I think we're sort of parking goaltenders for a, for a different conversation here. But I, I can recall, what a nickname, Shrimp. Um, <laughs> nicknames were cooler back then. Um, I can remember watching Matthew Phillips was when we used to do the Friday night hockey show when we had the junior hockey package, and I was on a panel at that night. I think with um, Todd Warner and Damian Cox. It was mm-hmm. a Victoria Royals against Kelowna Rockets. So it was a late night Friday game, and it was the end of the season, and they just called up this kid. He had the full, you know, the birdcage on and everything. Uh, Matthew Phillips and my first thought was he's going to get killed in the Western Hockey League like there are you know this the like big uh, large especially on the back end there are big kids in, uh, in in that league and he only played a couple of games but he ended up with three points and he was excellent in that game too and I remember Cosentino running down the whole rap sheet of, of Matthew Phillips and I remember thinking to myself, okay, a couple game audition, how's he going to do with a full season? And then it's like first year, 35 goals, second year, 50 goals. Like every time you've placed a hurdle in front of the kid, he's jumped over it. Oh, he can do that. He can score like that in junior, but can he do that at the American Hockey League level? Uh, well, yes, he can. You know, 30 goals, 35 goals with, uh, with, with Stockton. Uh, and and the Wranglers with, uh, with the Calgary Flames organization, the biggest hurdle is can you do it at the NHL level? We'll see because he's probably going to get a really good shot here with the Washington Capitals. Tonight it is Washington and Calgary as well. I know mm-hmm. we're not talking about Ovechkin here or Kadri, some of the big superstar names, but how do you see Matthew Phillips fitting into all of this. He's a hockey Twitter darling, an analytics darling, all of it. How do you see this yeah. working out? It sounds like you'll play on a line with Dylan Strome. Well, I mean, listen, I brought him up. Um, I brought him up not to, like, question his size. I just, when I saw it, I was like, wow, that's unbelievable. This, the amount of skill this young man must have is through the roof oh, yeah. because it's one thing to play the game undersized. Yes. It's another thing to play the game where, you know, you're giving up 20, 30, 40 pounds to, to smaller players to, to, you know, considered smaller players. So that's unbelievable. I can't wait to see how he does. I imagine the level of skill in today's day and age, and he knows how to play with his, with his size. And he's also on a team with Tom Wilson, Alexander Ovechkin, you know, a bunch <laughs> of guys who will very clearly be yeah. there to have his back if anything goes wrong. So that's not a problem. But, your, you know, your original question was about the Flames, and I, I'm in the same boat as you. I see this as a bounce back. Everything that could go wrong went wrong last year. They barely missed the playoffs. 31 goal losses, 16 shootout or overtime losses, whatever it was, uh, yeah. you know, and Markstrom, Markstrom's had an off year and we've seen that, but we've also seen Jacob Markstrom at his best as an elite goalie. So uh, I really feel confidently that the Calgary Flames are not just a playoff team, but when they make the playoffs will be a really tough out because everything we said about the team last year still holds true and they're going to rebound. Uh, and they're, they're just going to, you know, they can play a very good round up brand of hockey. You talked about the Vegas golden Knights and their blue line really helped lead them to a championship. You know, Calgary's blue line is very formidable as well at best. So I, um, you know, I have high expectations for the Calgary flames and, you know, is Jonathan Huberto going to have 115 points? No. Is Jonathan Huberto going to have 55 points? No. He's somewhere in the middle, and that's all they need from him is sort of that 80 to 85 point type season. 
uh, cadre will be much better, etc. And the fact that you have a number of players playing for contracts isn't a bad thing either. So I, um, I, I have high expectations for, for Calgary this year, for sure. I think a lot of us do. Uh, on that, we'll let you get back to your afternoon to prep for tonight's matchup. It is Austin Matthews and the Maple Leafs facing off against the Chicago Blackhawks with uh, that Bedard fella who's uh, who's turning heads. Uh, DA, always a pleasure, man. We'll be watching for you tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jeff, and uh, always excited to hear the show and should be a really fun one tonight at 6.30 Eastern. By the way, Colby's with us this year, so it's going to be even crazier. I know. Oh, the People's Republic of Colby. He's a nice bunch of guys. I love Colbs. Uh, Enjoy it with Colby this season, DA. Enjoy it, pal. Thanks, Jeff. Take care, man. David Amber, uh, Hockey Central tonight, 6.30 Eastern. Puck drops uh, just after 7 o'clock at uh, Scotiabank Arena between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Chicago Blackhawks. Matt Marchese is aboard uh, once again. Um, Anything jump out at you over the weekend, whether it was something as funny and frivolous as the tribute video for Jonathan Quick at Nationwide uh, when the Rangers uh, visited the Columbus Blue Jackets, which I thought was just brilliant. Uh, to the New Jersey Devils with the Jack Hughes, to a pair of big wins by the Ottawa Senators, and Michael Ann Lauer might be the biggest cheerleader for the Ottawa Senators. You saw that Saturday afternoon in their 5-2 win over the Flyers. What caught you this weekend, Matty? That the Vegas Golden Knights are going to win 4-1 the rest of the season. They're going to go 82-0, and they're going to win 4-1 every single <laughs> game. Uh, well, well gr- apparently Ottawa is going to win every game 5-2. We saw <laughs> yeah. that in back-to-back days. <laughs> Um, no, for yeah. me, for me, the story right now is, and you guys mentioned it, is Vancouver. I mean, I thought the exact same thing as everybody else did. I'm like, ah, okay, Edmonton, they're, they're this is going to be yeah. fine. They're going to be just fine. And then, you know, Pedersen is, he's, Pedersen is going to be, you know, like we had the conversation last week about Jack Hughes. Elias Pedersen is going to be in the MVP conversation. And he's playing for a, a big extension. He's, I know he's an RFA at the end of the year, but yeah. he is. We always knew Elias Pettersson was fantastic. He had a great year last year as well. I think we see like the next step towards being one of, you know, the five, eight best players in the NHL. No question. Like not, not worth a discussion to say, mm-hmm. hey, but what if? I think we are now getting into that territory. Yeah, he's um, uh, a fascinating player. And so, like, the one thing that we've said about Patterson, I think we've been consistent about this from day one uh, after Patterson Patterson said, like, look, I'm going to take a sort of wait-and-see approach here. I'm not in any hurry uh, to do a contract extension. I, I think that all, that all that this is about is just he wants to know that there is, A, a competitive team there, and, B, a path where this team can remain a consistent competitive team for a long time now having said that if Vancouver is going to be a consistent competitive team for a long time Elias Pedersen has to be there yes <laughs> so 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 take your pick um but I, I'm with you I, I think this guy has just like elite level everything I he's one of my favorite players to watch you know I, I don't think that's any secret I've, I've talked about Pedersen plenty of times here I, I just think he's one of the smartest players He's uh, a great playmaker, has an elite-level shot. I got all day for Elias Pettersson. And listen, man, as much as we talk about it from the Edmonton point of view, and it's only two games, but it is against a team that's supposed to win the Stanley Cup this year, or at least is in the conversation for the Stanley Cup, and we focus so much on all the the, the miscues by the Oilers 
and what's gone wrong there in the first couple of games, you got to give up. You got to give a lot of respect to Vancouver for what they're able to do, um, taking apart this team who everyone thought was going to run away with the Pacific Division, where, to your point, the Stanley Cup lives with the Vegas Golden Knights. I do want to get your thoughts on, uh, on, on one thing specifically. As much as we talk about the top line in Dallas, the Rupe Hins line, right? Jason Robertson and Joe Pavelski. Now with Patrice Bergeron gone, um, you know, we're not talking about the perfection line and, and have it for a while. Um, I look at New Jersey and every time Jack Hughes, uh, Jesper Bratt, and Tyler Toffoli are on the ice, something happens. It's not always a goal, but it's something that leads you to believe that this is going to be, and maybe as soon as like two weeks from now, or maybe even right now, we're going to be talking about that line as the best line in the NHL. I know there's some great lines out there. I get it. This line is super special. Agree, disagree. That by, I don't know, pick it, Maddie. U.S. Thanksgiving, Christmas, trade deadline, I don't know. We're going to be talking about the Hughes line as the best line in the NHL. I, I will push back because I, I, have, I have this sense about Matthews, Marner, and Bertuzzi that looks pretty special to start. It helps when Austin Matthews has six goals yep. through the first two games. But here's what I will say. Tyler Toffoli... shooting percentage is 50. Like, I know. It's, it's kind of good. Um, but but here's here's what I love about that line with, with Brat Hughes and Toffoli is that they're... Th- I know it's easy to say they're three different types of players, but they really are. Like, they, they do a lot of different things really well. And the one thing about Toffoli is I think this is perfect for Tyler Toffoli's career. He goes to play on a line with two guys that skate oh, really yeah. well. And oh, yeah. those two guys are, they're so dynamic. I feel like kind of less is more with Tyler Toffoli at this point. And it's not a bad okay. thing. So, you know what this sort of, again, sort of, don't jump all over me for this example, but it sort of reminds me of, because I really like this line and it's kind of totally forgotten now, except among some, you know, hardcore Oilers fans on Oilers Twitter. You know which line I really liked? Connor McDavid with Neil, Neil Yakupov and Benoit Pouliot. I remember. So Pouliot would do all the all the dirty work and all that, and Connor was Connor. And Neil Yakupov had one job, one <laughs> job: get in position to shoot. That's it. Yep. Just get in position to shoot between McDavid and Pouliot. They're going to get the puck, and it was almost as if they said, "Look, Yak, when you get there." Just wait. We're going to get you the puck. But when the puck is on your stick, we're only going to give it to you when you're in position to shoot. And you better the be ready to you shoot. get it, just shoot. <laughs> just just shoot. And I'm watching Hughes. Uh, I'm watching Hughes with Brad, and I'm thinking to myself, because I'm thinking the Tyler Toffoli question like you are, Maddie. If I'm Toffoli, I'm just like, I just need to get in position here. And when they give me the puck, shoot. Yeah. Like, that's it. They're going to know when to get me the puck, and all I'm going to do is fire it. Now, Toffoli is obviously a much better player than Neil Yakupov was. Um, he played his way out of the NHL. But I, I was watching that line against Arizona on Friday, and that, it's interesting because that's kind of one of the things that just jumped out at me right away was McDavid, Pouliot, and Yakupov very quietly in a lower key, one of my favorite Connor McDavid lines of all time. Yeah, and, and with Toffoli playing in, you know, he's in a contract year too. And that's and that's something that for him, 
Um, if if you look at this situation and you say, okay, I'm gonna I could have a really big year and I can go elsewhere, or I can extend my career by continuing to play well and play with these guys who make my life that much easier because they are younger, they have more energy, they have yeah. all of that. And if I'm Tyler Toffoli, I'm looking at this and saying, this could be a really good long term fit for me. Uh, I'm gonna make the most of my opportunities oh, yeah. here, make my money, and and maybe I found a home on a really nice line with two young guys that are going absolutely nowhere right now you know this is um I, I mentioned this on twitter on friday this is like new jersey is much must see tv like you got to watch the devils I mean, yeah you had to watch the devils last season but if you're you're surfing around tonight there's a lot of options all at the same time ladies and gentlemen all five games start at seven o'clock comments on that elsewhere um can i interject for one sec jeff tonight. on that because you talk yeah, about must see tv you know who i really I think I'm going to enjoy watching a lot this year is the Arizona Coyotes. Is that because of Logan Cooley or because just, just uh, I think Clayton that they Keller, like who? yeah everybody I think that they have just such an exciting group of forwards especially those young guys that you mentioned but even Nick Schmaltz all Nick Schmaltz does is put up points that's it not bad yeah, I know and they're I think they're really yeah. fun to watch. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I'm with you. They were fun to watch against Arizona on Friday. That's for sure. And there was one really sneaky move, by the way. This is why I love Jesper Bratt. There was uh, on, on one of the New Jersey goals, uh, Bratt starts a two-on-one by cutting back into his own zone and just ever so brilliantly and subtly uh, touches skates with J.J. Mosier. Mosier goes down, takes a defenseman out of the play, and it's an odd man rush the other way. That is what we refer to, Maddie, as a veteran move. Uh, by Jesper Brad on J.J. Mosier, who I do believe is, is ready to take that next step and uh, and become even more of a prominent defenseman with the Coyotes and, and in the NHL than he's than he's already at. There's a there's a really good defenseman in there in J.J. Mosier. Anyhow, uh, we had a break. Uh, I know you've got a show to get to as well, Maddie. Um, we're going to hit a break. We're going to come back and, and, and talk about the Colorado Avalanche with Peter Baugh, who covers that team for the Athletic, whether it's the Taves contract, whether it's various players uh, on that team, Rantanen, McKinnon, etc. And right down the lineup, Peter Baugh comments on the Avs as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet radio network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Thanks to uh, David Amber for stopping by to kick off Hour 2. We soldier on and continue by talking about the Colorado Avalanche. And can they get back to the promised land? And the big ingredient there, if they're going to, is health, which uh, pretty much scotched their season last year, leading to a first-round exit at the hands of the Seattle Kraken. That's uh, one of many issues uh, facing this Avalanche team right now. Peter Baugh covers the squad and has for quite some time now from The Athletic. Peter joins me now. Pete, how are you doing today, pal? I'm doing well. I'm actually here in uh, in Seattle watching the, the Kraken skate right now before the game tomorrow against the Avs. How do they look? They look good at practice. They just started, so nothing, nothing too crazy. But they're they're working on their two on one. <laughs> you know, I am I I am curious too. Yeah, how does um, how does this this Avalanche team view 
last year's uh, loss at the hands of the Seattle Kraken. Like on, on the one hand, you know, when Elliot and I were in Vegas for the Players Tour, one of the things that Jack Hughes told us is, you know, after Seattle eliminated Colorado, you know, the, the, the mantra in the room around New Jersey was, look what just happened. Seattle knocked off the defending Stanley Cup champions. Guys, we can totally beat the New York Rangers. Like, that was used as motivation in the other conference, what happened to the Avalanche. How does how does this organization look at what happened in the playoffs last year against the Kraken? Yeah, I mean, I talking to Nathan McKinnon, kind of going into training camp, He one of the things he said was he just, he said during, as, as time, the season's going on, you kind of convince yourself of, of things. But looking back, he felt like last year's team just didn't have it, whatever it was that mm. it needed to get to to kind of the level that health. it needed to, to what it was. Yeah, and health is the big thing. And he said that. He was like, we don't like making excuses, but I'm going to. Like, health was a health was an issue. And especially then when they lose Valerian Achushkin after two games um, with, with his that whole situation. Um, he, he, I mean, that, that potentially cost them the series there. You know, like they – they were were pretty close to beating Seattle with essentially only one line scoring. So I think that this year they they obviously were were really intent on fixing that and have kind of changed how their team looks in a lot of ways outside of the top guys in the forward group. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think so far it's it's looked solid and obviously very small sample size. But I think they're hopeful that it won't be the same thing where it's just kind of one line driving the bus last year without anyone kind of there to to help. You know, I, I really wish the NHL had a, a Comeback Player of the Year award. Um, I think it would be a great touch. I know we get carried away with how many awards there are, etc. But I really wish the NHL did that, that there was a, a Comeback Player of the Year award. Um, because if there was, you know, one of the players that I'd be cheering for, I got my fingers crossed that he has a really good season. I know that Nathan McKinnon really wants him to have a good season is Jonathan Drouin, uh, looking to recreate the magic from the Halifax Mooseheads. How has he looked to you so far? I know it's only a couple of games in. He's got the one helper. Um, how has Drouin looked, and, and how does McKinnon talk about his old running mate from Halifax? Yeah, Jaren's looked. He's looked solid so far. I think that the the first game, honestly, the best play he made wasn't. He had the assist, but the best play was he had this pass to McKinnon that um, that Cam Talbot saved, ultimately saved the shot. But it was just a, a really like clever pass that that I, I was kind of <laughs> you one of those where you're like, oh wow, how did he know that McKinnon was there? How did he find it? And it was like one of those instances of good chemistry that are. Um, that you can still see even after all their time apart. They're working together after practice all the time. It's key, it's clear that if if Duran doesn't work out in Colorado, it won't be for a lack of work on his end. Like he's he's certainly um, putting in all that he can, and he's he I think so far has looked pretty good. And like you said, Nathan McKinnon's invested in his success. He's invested in his own success. I think a fresh start. Um, was, is probably going to do him a lot of good. And I think he'll certainly, if he's on that line with McKinnon and Rantanen, who he looks like he can skate with and can, can play make with, like he's going he's gonna to be involved in a lot of scoring, which I'm sure is exciting for him and exciting for, for McKinnon. I am always curious about players who join this team and, and join this market, join this organization, and join a team that has Nathan McKinnon on it because there is... 
like, let's be honest here. There is a certain standard, not unlike what Crosby sets in Pittsburgh, but there's a standard that McKinnon sets um, with the Colorado Avalanche and challenges every player to, uh, if not meet it, at least approach it. How is Druan, I'm not sure, Peter, how much you've spoken to him, but how has Druan found the Colorado experience so far? I think he really likes it. I uh, I actually just did a, a feature kind of looking back on their Moosehead days and, and kind of looking forward to what they are doing now. And I think, I, I think that Montreal obviously is a, a Nathan McKinnon described it as a heavy place to play, especially for a French Canadian. And I think that uh, not yeah. that like Drew and obviously I think he, he really liked Montreal and really liked playing there, but I think it was time for a change. And I think it's just seems like a bit refreshing being in a new, in a new market where um, maybe there's a little less pressure where he's got one of his good buddies there, where he's not being counted on, where he wasn't traded for Mikhail Sergachev, all, all of the things that kind of led to Montreal being a, a pressure cooker aren't really there in Colorado. And I, I think that that is, has led to him being in really good spirits so far. Not that he wasn't in good spirits in, in Montreal, but I think it's just a, it was probably a, a good, I think he, he said that it was time for a change in his opening press conference. And I think that, mm-hmm. um, that's the case. Alexander Georgiev, you and I have talked about him before. And if you look at the history, you know, when he gets, you know, long stretches of playing multiple games, uh, his game improves. Um, it's the, the, the stops and starts that have always hurt Alexander Georgiev. Uh, so far to kick off the season, looked really good. Uh, I know everyone's saying the, the the right things, but you know what's the expectation for Georgiev this season? And could we see a surprise Vesna candidate in Georgiev? Well, I, Vesna, we'll we'll see about that. But I definitely think that if you look at if you look at like expectations for him, I think if he can essentially replicate what he did last year, I think you have to be happy with that. I mean, he's he's making three five I think three and if you're a very solid goalie like that's that's kind of what you're paying for if he can be anything more than that it's just gravy and so far he's looked he's looked awesome he's he's been really good steady um he he's there were a couple of really impressive plays against San Jose where Colorado outshot the Sharks I think 52 to 23 or something like that but they had a few defenses they had a (laughs) <laughs> but they had a few defensive lapses where there were breakaways. The think Georgia not only made the saves, but, but the rebounds. I think the only goal that hit them was a, a tip in front of the net. So, and those can be tricky for goalies. So I think it was uh, certainly a strong, um, strong start to the season for him. And I think if he can keep that up and be essentially what he was last year, and maybe even a little bit better then then they'll be in good shape. And if the team is healthier, the save percentage will probably be a little higher if he plays at that level, just, by the nature of the, the scoring yeah. chances they have, giving up, and if if that's the case, then I, you could totally see this being a guy who finishes top five in Vesna and makes a case. You know, I'm I'm glad you brought up that San Jose game because um, it's an early candidate for the best goaltending performance we've seen yeah. in the NHL in in Mackenzie Blackwood, who was just not gonna allow anything. You know, Thomas Bordalo scores, makes it one nothing, and then the goalie goes to work. Um, the save on Makara was genius level, and that was that was an outstanding save by Blackwood. And you know, once upon a time, and this is many years ago. Uh, you know, a Colorado Avalanche team would have just said, "You know what? 
it's not there tonight, fellas. It's not going to happen. This goalie's too hot. Like, I look at that game and I say to myself, that's the story of a veteran team that is not going to get rattled. Uh, even though, you know, they're sending a million shot attempts Mackenzie Blackwood's way, they're not stopping. Like, they're not throwing in the towel. Like, to, to me, I, I know the story was Mackenzie Blackwood, but to me, one of the stories coming out of that game was how the Avalanche didn't stop. Like, they were relentless. And I don't know that there are many teams in the NHL, and it's the hallmark of being successful and having elite players, who could have done that. But the Avs stuck with it the entire game, Peter. Yeah, no, it was, it was funny. I, was, I turned to one of the other reporters, after when I, when I, I, I reached a point where I was like, ah, they're not getting a goal tonight. Like it just isn't happening. And we we're kind of joking about like, like, what do you even ask these guys post game? Cause it's not like they played poorly. It's not like, they're just like this, yeah. this guy's not letting get any shots, but they found a way. And, and yeah, like you said, it was a very disciplined game in a way where they were obviously aggressive and, and trying to, to score, but they didn't get overly aggressive and allow mistakes the other way at least i mean there were a few here or there because it's hockey and that'll happen but it wasn't like they let their desperation lead to a ton of like super dangerous chances against they just kind of like consistently tilted yeah. the ice and you you could see after mccarr's goal to tie it you could see that they were there was some frustration <laughs> in there they were they were pretty after that goal you could it was not a normal goal they were all i think mika randitz said pretty relieved that they finally got one through so it was a uh, a really fun hockey game. It was, it was fun to watch it. But yeah, the Avs could have won that game six to one if it wasn't for Blackwood. Oh, Black, Blackwood was outstanding. Let me uh, let me ask about the uh, Devon Taves and that deal. It, it seems as if, based on what we think that that the Taves could have got in the uh, on, on the open market on July first, it seems that both sides gave a little to get a contract done. That Taves gave a little on the number. And the Avalanche gave a little on the term. Is that how you saw this deal um, for Devontae? Seven years, uh, just under fifty-one million dollars. Yeah, that was that was my read on it. I think he wanted long-term security and was willing to to take a little bit less AV hit. And the Avs ultimately agreed to that. Uh, I I projected kind of going into the season around seven seven by seven or seven by 7.5, I think we're around, it was around where I was saying. And so I wasn't necessarily surprised that yeah. this was the, um, the final contract. I think it makes a lot of sense for both sides. Honestly, I think that it's a little jarring when you see that Devon Taves at the start of next season will be the 29th highest paid defenseman in the league when he's a top 15 defenseman at a minimum. And so like that, it's yeah. a little funny in that regard, but, also, this deal will take him till he's 37 years old. So who knows what will be at the end of that contract. And I think that was probably why the Avs were a little nervous about giving him a full seven years. Um, but I think when you have a player like Devon Tage, he's just he's not a guy that you can let get away if you're trying to win Stanley Cups, which the Avalanche clearly are. And when you have a guy who plays totally. perfectly with Kevin McCarr, who's a top 10 defenseman, arguably in his own right, who is as steady as they come, who's arguably your best defensive defenseman, while also contributing a ton on the offensive side, I, I think it's just, it was kind of a no-brainer. They just had to find a way to get this done, and I think they ultimately knew that, and Taves kind of, they made their, his camp made their stance clear of what they wanted, and they reached middle ground. It's interesting, too, because we kept, um, we kept hearing and were of the belief that if this deal was going to get 
done, it was going to take $56 million. He ends up, as I mentioned, just a little bit under 51. But we kept hearing the number 56. Did you hear same? I actually didn't hear that as much. Um, I, I just, I think that the big thing was getting it to seven or eight years. And I think that the abs weren't going to probably pay the AAV necessary at that term to, to get it to 56. Um, but I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was definitely going to take a good chunk of money. He's earned, earned that. And, um, yeah, I think that, that you're, you kind of see everything that he's meant to this team and, and, uh, and that was going to come down to a pretty big number, even if not like the massive deals you're maybe seeing with some of the younger defensemen. Uh, let me close with this one. You mentioned Seattle tomorrow, and then on Thursday, it is Nathan McKinnon versus Connor Bedard. That's uh, that traveling road show. I don't know what Bedard's going to be left with uh, by the time Thursday rolls around between all the games, all the practices, and all the media commitments as well uh, for Bedard. But it'll be Nathan McKinnon's first head-to-head shot at Connor Bedard. What's this, uh, what's this going to be like for the, uh, for the Colorado Avalanche? Sorry, I lost you there for for like thirty five seconds. What was Sorry, the question? Th- 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 uh, Thursday with the uh, with the Bedard show in town, uh, end of the road trip for Chicago. I don't know if Bedard's going to be going on fumes at that point, but what's the expectation? McKinnon versus Bedard. Man, is he getting force fed? Whether it's Sidney Crosby tonight, it's Austin Matthews. Like he's getting he's getting some teams to play against early here and some players. Uh, what do you look for? What do you expect between Bedard and McKinnon? Yeah, I'm honestly I'm very excited for that game. I think it'll be it'll be really cool. I think that Asa McKinnon obviously is playing at <laughs> about as well as he ever has, or at least at the end of last season he was. Bedard is a superstar yeah. in the making. Um, selfishly, I was kind of hoping he wouldn't have scored yet, and so that I could see his first goal. Uh, but I don't think that will be the case. <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah. but it should still be really fun to see those two face off. Uh, Boston Bruins fans, sir, they were the uh, the first ones. And uh, Linus Ulmark becomes a, uh, a trivia question. Who surrendered Connor Bedard's first career NHL goal? Oh, yeah, it was a reigning Vesna Trophy winner um, in, in Linus Ulmark. Uh, Peter, always a pleasure. Uh, no one sharpens a pencil on Colorado better than you. Thanks so much, as always, for stopping by, pal. There he goes, uh, Peter Baugh from The Athletic covering the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, thank yous remain the same, whether it's our supervising producer, Matt Marchese, uh, our producer, David Siss, Lance Kennedy, board op and TV director, Jennifer Rolnick. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, tonight, five games starting at 7 o'clock and the marquee matchup on um, Rogers Monday Night Hockey features the Toronto Maple Leafs facing off against the aforementioned Connor Bedard and the Chicago Blackhawks. Yes, it's Bedard. Yes, it's Matthews. Hockey Central gets underway at 6.30 Eastern on Sportsnet. The puck drops just after 7. Enjoy it. Uh, we are back tomorrow with more of the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Talk to you in 22.